This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, yes, welcome back listeners to season two of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and as always, joining me is Brian Calm. Hey, Elon, long time no hockey. I know, I've missed it so much. I have to say... I really enjoyed the break from hockey and fantasy hockey, but now that I'm starting to research for this show and for future shows, I'm kind of getting into it again. Yeah, I don't know. I I definitely agree that after the season, it was nice to have a bit of a break. It was very stressful, you know, trying to push to the victory, which for any new listeners, Brian and I both won our pools last year. So you're taking advice from the, the right people. But yeah, I'm missing the rush now. I want to get back into it. That feeling of every night having your players playing and checking out how your matchup's doing. There's still a couple of months until the season starts, but we could definitely start talking about ways to give yourself an edge going into next year's pool. And we decided it's summertime. It's the first episode. So we're going to talk about some off-season moves that happened since we've last talked to you fine people and give some insights into which players we think have benefited and which have gone down due to these moves. Yeah, and that's something that's really often rife with speculation because nobody knows anything. It's not even preseason. There's been no training camp. We don't know anything about lines or coaching or how a player is going to be used, and a lot of people like to make up line combinations at this time of year, but that doesn't do us any good. We don't love to speculate. We like to... Prognosticate. Well done. You remember. Yes, that's, that's how we'd like to do it on Keeping Carlson. But obviously, this episode will have some kind of speculation in it because that's what we have to work with. But what I think we'll try and do is we'll frame it as which players that change teams are moving on from situations that were either very fortunate for them or were very unfortunate for them. So we'll see who is moving out of a situation that was really helping them produce points or it was really hindering their ability to produce points. We can't exactly speculate on what their new location will bring, but we can maybe think of what will happen once they take on a role that is different from the team that they're coming from. All right, so then let's get started. Who's someone who you think has benefited from their off-season move? Okay, let's start with arguably the biggest free agent signing over the summer, and that was Paul Stasny going to St. Louis for about $7 million a year. And in Colorado, he was really the only centerman capable of handling shutdown duty. And so he was the guy frequently put out against 
the top lines of the teams that the Avalanche were playing against. And obviously that's not going to give him too much of an opportunity to score. And his numbers went down. But the important thing to note is that even though his scoring numbers went down, his possession numbers were still strong playing against elite talent on the other side. All right, so looking at the numbers, Paul Stastny had 60 points last season in 71 games. So that's pretty good for someone who, like you say, was playing a more defensive role. I actually had him on my fantasy team, and he, as I recall, actually started the season in a bit of a slump. So if you discount the beginning of the season, he pretty much had a point-per-game season as far as what helped me down the stretch. So do you think that he could even improve upon that? Yeah, I do. Remember that before he took on these defensive duties for the last few seasons, he was nearly a point-per-game player over his first four seasons in the league. So I don't see why not. And I think it's also a positive sign. Colorado's possession numbers in general were harped upon by a lot of observers looking at you know the advanced statistics, and rightfully so. And in that situation, he was still able to put forward positive possession numbers. So I'd like to think that maybe he'll be facing weaker competition, although every team in the West seems to have a really strong second line now. But yes, hypothetically, I think he will be able to improve on that if if he does get to take on a more offensive role. This is the speculative part of it. He's going to St. Louis, which is still the defensive team. But there is a chance that instead of being the top shutdown guy, he might slide in on the second line, which means he's going to see his first opportunities in years to take an offense first role. So in my mind, his value goes up with his lowered likelihood of matching up against every team's number one line. He'll be a second liner in name only in St. Louis. And I think that's going to be a positive thing for him and his fantasy owners. All right, well, Brian, then you're tempting me. I have to ask, who do you think is a better keeper then, Paul Stastny or his former teammate Ryan O'Reilly? This wouldn't have anything to do with your own team, would it? Uh, It might. Yeah, that didn't take long. And obviously that is the second purpose for this podcast, for you to continue trying to win your pool. I don't know. Colorado is in a weird place in my mind. I don't think a lot of people know what to expect. They succeeded in the face of some pretty damning possession numbers and people might argue that the wheels kind of came off during the playoffs and so I think it's kind of hard to say what kind of influence that bears on the rest of the lineup someone is going to have to step up and take that defensive role that hole that's been created by Stasny's departure and I think Ryan O'Reilly might be a half decent candidate for that and that's something to be careful of all this does not answer your question. I don't know. When do you have to decide by? Oh, I have a lot of time. I'd like to lean towards Stasny, but without knowing anything at all yet about what exactly he's going to be doing for the Blues in terms of his role and where O'Reilly might slot into the Avs lineup this year with Stasny's absence. It's too early to say. We'll wait till the super hyper speculation of training camp begins to make that call. Okay, fair enough. Let's, I guess, stick with the Avalanche because they were also involved in another signing, this time not losing someone, but signing someone. They picked up ageless wonder Jerome Aginla. Do you think that this is going to help Aginla continue to build off of his impressive previous season? I wonder if we should insist on calling him by his full name on the podcast from now on, which is Jerome Arthur Lee Adikunle Tig Jr. Elvis Aginla. Is that really true? Yeah, it is. I checked the Wikipedia annotations and everything. (laughs) All right, go for it. Well, you called him the ageless wonder. And yeah, he was 36 last year and he beat all projections of people, including me, who thought he was maybe over the hill and about to start riding off into the sunset. 
And then he put up points at his best rate since the 2010-11 season. And to clarify, I'm talking about points per 60 minutes. So what I'm trying to say is that although his ice time slipped a bit, he was more efficient in putting up points for the time that he did spend on the ice. Points per 60 minutes is a very handy stat, and you can guess it how it's calculated, right? Well, yeah, I guess you just divide his points by his minutes and multiply by 60. Exactly. And I want to give Aginla the credit that he deserves for it, but he was playing with a very defensively responsible Boston team that had built-in support. He saw very friendly zone start percentages, which means, again, that he was in the offensive zone most of the time when the puck was dropped with him on the ice. And he also wasn't depended on to play against other teams' top lines. Also, he had a high PDO, which we know is a calculation of his team's shooting percentage and save percentage while he's on the ice. Both were a little bit inflated while he was there. And now all that's gone. He's a year older. He's moving to a Colorado team that, like I was just saying, they're facing a ton of uncertainty in terms of their ability to reproduce those unlikely circumstances in which they excelled last year. On top of that, he's the only legitimate natural right wing on the Avs roster right now. And maybe there's a chance he's going to see better competition when he's on the ice from the opponents he's facing. And if you put all that together with the Avalanche's documented puck possession frailties, you know, he will have world-class line mates. They're going to probably, well, be as good or better than who he had last year, which was Milan Lucic and Louis Erickson, who are no slouches. His scoring output, I, I still think, could take a fair hit because of his departure from Boston. I think there were a lot of things working in his favor there that he can't take with him to Colorado. All right. Well, last season he had 61 points in 78 games. So I guess you're thinking he might be more of a 50 to 60 point player. It'll be interesting to see how that turns out. I think that's optimistic, even. You know, I wouldn't really count on him for more than 50. He's 37 years old. He's in a worse situation. I'm going to let someone else draft him this year. Yeah, because I'm sure at least someone in your pool is going to look at him as potentially an even higher than 61-point player, because they'll say, oh, wow, Boston, he got 61 points there, and he's probably going to get more points now that he's in Colorado, because he's going to be on the top line for sure. So yeah, maybe let someone else take the risk on an aging Jerome McGinley. Or Jer what was the rest of his name? Junior Elvis is all you need to remember. All right, yeah, let someone else take Junior Elvis. Yeah, I think some people might argue he's he might be centered by Matt Duchesne or Ryan O'Reilly, and he'll have Gabriel Landeskog as a line mate, but for me, that's still not enough. Okay, who is our next free agent signing from the summer that you want to talk about? Maybe give us another player who you think is going to potentially improve. Well, if Paul Stasny was one of the louder free agent signings, Tom Gilbert was probably one of the quieter ones signing with the Canadians for two years. And it's true, we're now six years removed from Tom Gilbert's career best season, in which he scored 45 points, including 16 on the power play with the Edmonton Oilers. That season was sandwiched between two 30-point seasons, though since then he hasn't touched 30 points again, and that was back in 2009-2010. So, why is there hope for him now that he's moved to Montreal? Because he did just only put up 28 points in Florida last year. And I would suggest that maybe the answer is in the question. He did put up 28 points with Florida last year in a shutdown defensive role, too, with a middling amount of power play time. And I think it goes without saying fairly weak teammates. In Montreal, only P.K. Subban is clearly ahead of him on the depth chart. And an aging Andre Markov and ever fragile, I should also note, 
he may still see some offensive friendly minute, but I wouldn't be too surprised to see Gilbert compliment Subban on the first power play unit or maybe even quarterback the second power play unit. This is going to be the first time for Gilbert in a while that he'll have some job security and maybe get some prime offensive opportunities after spending years with mostly sparse and defensive-minded rosters in Edmonton and Minnesota, respectively. I think he's been a failed sleeper for a few seasons, but I would happily take a chance on him in the mid-to-late rounds this year because of his new situation. Yeah, interesting. I think that he might even be the type of guy that you can grab as a free agent at the start of the season or in the last round of the pool. Like, with 28 points last season, I don't think people are going to be jumping at him And not everyone has the insights that you do, Brian. Yeah, for better or for worse, not everybody has the insights that I do. (laughs) Let's shift back to someone who you think is going down. Who should people be avoiding, even though they had good numbers last season? He's been on a bit of a roller coaster for the last few years, uh, but recently he's been up. And I think he's about to fall back down. And I'm talking about UC Jokinen who signed a deal with Florida this summer. Pittsburgh was a good situation for him. He scored 57 points last year. And depending on who you believe, I'm going to go with hockeyanalysis.com. Their numbers seem to differ with Yahoo a little bit, and I'm not sure why. But I think my point still stands. When you look at his stats with and without Evgeny Malkin, uh, he had 30 even strength points on the season. 21 of those came with Evgeny Malkin on the ice. He was also playing with James Neal. In Florida... I mean, we don't need to think about who he might be on a line with because really any combination you make is not going to work out very favorably for him. Well, especially if you're comparing to playing with Malkin or James Neal. Yeah, and sure, lots of players pale in comparison to them, but I'm going to read to you the centers in Florida this year. Are you ready? Okay, let's hear it. Okay, Dave Boland, Derek McKenzie, Alexander Barkov, Nick Bjugstad, Brandon Peary, maybe Jonathan Huberdeau shifts over there a couple times, but that's it. So how many proven NHLers did you hear, like proven guys who can score reliably? Um, I don't know. Boland? <laughs> yeah, so I think zero is the answer. Boland <laughs> with a question mark equals zero. <laughs> Carolina was silly to leave him for dead. Like they, they put him on waivers, and so the Penguins picked him up very cleverly. And now he's signed by the Panthers, uh, and they have, I would say, one proven and reliable offensive forward who had his own problems last year. That's Thomas Fleischman that I'm talking about. And then I'm about to say, and they also have Brad Boys, which really isn't something you want to be saying as, as the next guy. And sure, yes, Barkov and Bukestad and Huberdeau and maybe Peary have some potential as young players coming up, but... I'm going on proven and reliable offensive producers who we've seen do something before that Jokinen can work with. I don't think he's ever been a huge playmaker. He did have several first assists last year, but I don't see him going at it alone in Florida with the same success that he did with uh, two above average, far above average, well, at least one very above average NHLer by his side that he had last year. Right, yeah, to expect almost 60 points again from UC Jokinen on Florida isn't very likely. What was the point total of the highest scoring person on Florida last season? Yeah, that was Nick Bjugstad with 38 points in 76 games, ahead of Brian Campbell with 37 points and Scotty Upshaw with 37 points. They had four scores between 36 and 38 points. Number five had 29 points. So things are not looking 
so promising for really anyone on Florida this year. Yeah, you could maybe expect that the leading scorer on the team will go up by 10, maybe 20, but I don't think I see a 30-point jump and it coming from UC Okanen. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm going to also say definitely not 20 points. I'll give Bjorkstad like some room to grow, maybe like three, four, five more points, but I'm thinking 40 points is probably about the ceiling of where any Panther will score again this year. Okay, so maybe let's shift over to talking about a goalie or two. Are there any goalies who made a move this offseason that you think will change their outlook? Well, there's nowhere to go but up for Devin Dubnik, who was a fixture on the show last season during his flameout while being on my roster. Uh, he signed with Arizona, which is the new name for Phoenix, the Coyotes, and I don't know, you know, it's hard not to root for him. It's a new opportunity. He was really beaten up last year, but now he's behind a starting goalie, Mike Smith, who is known to get injured every so often and maybe be a little fragile in his playing ability, too. I've never been totally sold on him despite his pretty decent numbers. Arizona has generally been defensively focused. Dubnik, he, career, he's a 909 goalie. That includes last year's debacle, and before last year, he was really the only line of defense for a thin and even confused Oilers blue line. I can't say that anything great is going to happen, but I think Arizona is a good situation for him to be in just overall. So would you consider drafting him in your pool next season? I don't think so. I don't think I'd, I'd use a pick to get him. I don't think his upside is terribly high, but... In deep leagues, you know, where you'll need a third or a fourth goalie, yeah, and you're going to have that roster spot anyway, I would take a chance on him, but maybe I have a soft spot for him. That's possible. All right, and then there's a couple of other sort of bigger name goalies that maybe are harder to predict how things will go. Ryan Miller signing with Vancouver was an especially interesting move, I think. So he goes from Buffalo where he, you know, had a really high save percentage but couldn't get a win to save his life. Then he went to St. Louis, where it seemed like the perfect situation for him, and that actually didn't end up working out as well as people were expecting. Now he goes to Vancouver, where he's a sure number one goalie. Or maybe not. Does Eddie Lack have a chance to challenge Ryan Miller at this point? I don't know. I'm not in that super speculation echo chamber, especially for the Canucks. But I think Miller's probably the starter. I think Eddie Lack has a chance to push him and might see more games than most backups around the league. But I don't know. I wouldn't want to put my money down on either of them right now. Miller had a really tough time in St. Louis, and it didn't seem for any particular reason, which is funny because he was coming out of Buffalo. He, well, he started the year very strong with, with decent save percentages on a defensively terrible team. But then when he went to St. Louis, a defensively tight team, he really kind of crumbled. A lot of weak goals during the playoffs, during his short time there. And now he's getting older and he's off to Vancouver and he's on a long-term contract. And I don't like to say, oh, guys aren't motivated because they have a contract. But it's just one more piece that kind of tells me, ah, I'm not banking on him. And he's definitely, I think in my mind, dropped from elite status that he held two or three years ago in fantasy pools. And yeah, also at this point, it's really hard to tell, at least for me, what kind of team Vancouver will be next year? Like, are they more of a Buffalo or are they more of a St. Louis? No idea. I don't know. I haven't read many people who do know, and I'm just going to leave it at that, I think, until we start seeing. I think they're in probably some dangerous territory with aging Sedins and Kessler gone. It's really not ideal, and I guess I'd lean 
more towards i mean buffalo is pretty extreme they were like historically awful last year but definitely towards the bad canucks that we saw most of last season i would assume that continues right yeah so also maybe leave ryan miller in your hockey pool to the person who just takes him because of his name let's talk about one more goalie jonas hiller to me is really interesting because he a couple of years ago, seemed like a really solid starter on a strong Anaheim team. And he really took a hit last year. You know, like both Gibson and Anderson seemed to be ahead of him in the depth chart at some point. Now he's off to Calgary, which is also maybe more of a Buffalo-ish type team. Would you take a risk on Jonas Hiller in your next hockey pool? Well, Hiller is... A strange one for me. I don't know a whole lot about what to expect because in his last three seasons, so that's really about 150 games, he had roughly a 9-12 save percentage over those three years, which is not good. You know, I think what you're looking for in a really good goalie is 9-17 is is ideal, 9-15 you could settle for. 9-12 is average at best and that's on a, a quality Anaheim team they've been good the last couple seasons before that for the first 180 games or so of his career he was flirting you know with 920 every year or well above it so it's I don't know what to say especially going to Calgary um, I don't really have high hopes for them this year as most people do I think even their fans shouldn't have high hopes I'm not expecting him to do a whole lot he's good as like a desperate number two or three option on your team. But I think the change of scenery, even though he might be more clearly entrenched in a starter role, or at least have the possibility of doing that after his job was taken last year, that balanced against playing for Calgary and his most recent career numbers, that's not enough to convince me that he's any better off today than he was a year ago. Right, yeah. And of course, everyone listening must realize that goalies are so hard to predict. Last season, there were so many goalies who did well that no one expected that to happen to, like including guys like Varlamov and Ben Bishop. And I shouldn't say no one expected it, but definitely they definitely outperformed all of their projections. So take this with somewhat of a grain of salt. But yeah, I agree that a Calgary starting Jonas Hiller doesn't seem like such an appealing option. And two more players that I just want to get to quickly before we close out the show, Elon. One good, one bad. We'll start with the good. I'm a fan of the Nikolai Kuhlman signing by the Islanders. He's been used in a shutdown role in Toronto. And they have like, if you go to their player usage chart, um, you see blue or red. Blue is positive possession numbers. Red is negative possession numbers. And the lighter, you know, and the shades get lighter or darker depending on how extreme those positives or negatives are. So if you go to a usage chart showing uh, how all Leafs forwards were used last year, it is a sea of red, a sea of negative Corsi. But in that sea of negative Corsi remains another negative Corsi player, which is Nikolai Kuhleman. But he was totally used as a shutdown player last year, which is odd given his skill set. I think he's more of a scorer, and I think he's been able to show that. And I think it's been a good thing for him to at least have some opportunity to use his game defensively. But I get the impression that that's not exactly what's going to happen with New York. I think he was a little bit buried in Toronto, not given the opportunity to play to his natural strengths. Now we'll see if he's got those natural strengths that I'm assuming are there or not in New York. Okay, then who's the down player? The down player, I think, is James Neal. He's off to Nashville, which means that he's away from Evgeny Malkin, who we already talked about his influence once. 
I've got this stat tweeted by Dmitry Filipovich, who writes about hockey for various websites across the web. He noted uh, that James Neal scored 99 goals over the past three seasons, all but 22 of them. So 77 of those 99 goals were assisted by either Malkin or Crosby. And a lot of people say that a winger is generally as good as his center, and it's not totally accurate. Uh, Phil Kessel and Tyler Bozak would be a counterexample to that theory. But I don't know. I don't know if James Neal can do it by himself, especially with that glaring stat that I just read. And keep in mind, he was playing on the second line in Pittsburgh. I think a lot of opponents would focus their attention on Sidney Crosby. So Neal had that favorable situation where he wasn't playing against team's top shutdown players. In Nashville, that's going to be fairly different for him. And I don't know how well that's going to work out for him in the long run. And then I guess I could imagine the opposite could be said for Patrick Hornqvist, who was traded for Neil and is off to Pittsburgh. You know, I haven't thought particularly about that in the lead up to this episode, but I feel like it might be kind of a wash. And we're going to see what Hornqvist is capable of now that he has, well, he's going to have a great centerman. And maybe he does just step in and do what James Neal did or maybe do it better. I think it's going to be uh, about even results for the teams involved in the trades. But yeah, maybe the players are going to trade stats. Well, yeah, in that case, a wash for that trade means a huge increase for Patrick Hornqvist if he takes over James Neal's numbers. So he might be someone to grab. Yeah, someone to watch for sure and maybe take, you know, a round or two earlier than you might have otherwise. I know James Neal was going like usually top three, four, five rounds. I wouldn't be comfortable taking Hornquist there this year. Okay, fair enough. Man, I'm so excited for the season to get started and we could see how all these players actually do in their new environments. Well, yeah, I can't be proven right until that happens or wrong. I'm okay with being wrong. And of course, there's still many players we haven't even discussed that I'm sure we'll get to at some point soon. Guys like Spezza and Hemsky who moved to Dallas. Mike Camilleri over to New Jersey, Matt Niskanen on Washington. We've got a lot to talk about, but okay, Brian, what do we have moving forward for our summer series of Keeping Carlson Hockey Podcast before we get to the actual draft and season analyses episodes that we're so famous for? Well, I think the plan is to... First, I'd like to do a show on which advanced stats are the most useful in fantasy hockey and how can you use them. And I think it might be a good primer for our listeners because sometimes we do drop some strange words that seem unfamiliar, um, but they're quite easy to understand and grasp once we explain. So maybe we'll do like a little primer of advanced statistics, but specifically for fantasy hockey, how you can use advanced statistics to improve your fantasy hockey team. And then I think, what do you think about doing an episode on drafting strategy? Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, like you make your list of players, then there's the whole question of should you put them into tiers? How do you react based on what other people are picking? If everyone's taking a goalie, do you need to jump in? I have a lot of questions like that that I'm going to be excited to get your advice on. So those are two coming down the pipe that we thought would be good. Listeners, if you have anything that you'd like to hear us talk about or any suggestions for future show ideas, please get in touch. Elon, how can they do that? Well, definitely you can contact us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. We'd love it if you could follow us. And if you send us a message, we'll for sure respond. Also, we have our email address, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. And hey, while you're, you know, connecting with us on these various digital ways, why not head over to iTunes, give us a five-star review, subscribe to the podcast. We expect next season to be even better than the first. 
So get on the train now, and we're going to help you to win next season's hockey pool. And with that, we're going to sign off for the first episode of our new stretch of Keeping Carlson episodes. Brian, why don't you read us the credits? Sure. To research this show, we used ExtraSkater.com, Behind the Net, Daily Faceoff, Yahoo Sports, and a couple articles from Bleacher Report by Dave Lozo and Jonathan Willis. Yep, and you can find all of those links in our show notes at KeepingCarlson.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you all in a couple of weeks. Bow, 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 bow.